thank you for downloading this episode of a History of Central Florida podcast. This is the podcast where we explore Central Florida's history through the artifacts found in local area museums and historical societies. This series is brought to you by Riches, the regional initiative to collect the histories, experiences, and stories of Central Florida and the Orange County Regional History Center. I am Kendra Hazen, and I will be your host for today's episode titled Poliklikaha. Anti-slavery resistance is a vibrant theme in the history of enslaved people in the United States. Their resistance came in many forms, as collective violent movements, as individual purposeful acts of negligence, and even in running away. These runaways established semi-permanent settlements across the state of Florida. Settlements like Poliklikaha. As the topic of this podcast, the archaeological site of Poliklikaha and objects found there help us to unearth the stories of this unique cultural enclave and the imprint they made on life in Florida. Dr. Brent Wiseman, professor of anthropology at the University of South Florida, explains when and how these communities of runaways arrived in Florida. The runaway slaves that become known to historians as the Black Seminoles first came into Florida after the American Revolution, after the 1770s, we begin to see runaway slaves making their way into Spanish Florida. And uh, these slaves from the southern plantations were escaping them basically across an international boundary, clearly seeking their, their freedom or a life of freedom away from plantation slavery. And as they made their way into the interior of Florida, they uh, became acquainted with or knew of already the Seminole Indian villages that were uh, located throughout the Central Peninsula and sought out those Seminole Indians and their villages as points of refuge or places where they could be harbored and kept safe from slave catchers uh, who were coming down into Spanish Florida looking for what the southern plantation owners viewed as their lost property. As these groups of runaways moved across Florida, it did not take long for them to become integrated with the swamplands and seminal communities they found. Dr. Wiseman describes the historian's struggle to settle on a term to appropriately identify this group of runaways and the complicated relationship that they developed with the Seminoles. The, the name Black Seminole itself as a historical term is one that's used out of convenience by modern historians. At the time, what you see the Americans or any of the European colonists referring to these people as mostly as uh, Seminole Negroes uh, or simply Negroes or uh, some combination of those terms that, re that made it clear that they were associated with the Seminoles but were distinct from them. Black Seminoles lived apart from 
the Seminoles in their own villages, but were associated with particular Seminole leaders or uh, the chiefs of the various towns and were linked to them through a tributary relationship where they would give a certain number or a certain amount of crops per year, numbers of bushels of corn and other agricultural produce to the Seminoles as tribute in exchange for protection by the Seminoles from the slave catchers or any other governmental attempt to reclaim the black Seminoles and return them to, to their owners. Historians have used varying terms to try and explain the black Seminole, Seminole relationship, including ownership, forced servitude, or even patrons and clients. There was probably as much variation in their actual relationships as there are in these terms. Yet two things are quite clear. First, the black Seminoles were never completely integrated into the Seminole community as equal participants. It's also clear that the knowledge and skills the black Seminoles brought with them benefited the Seminoles. Dr. Wiseman describes one of their positive contributions. One thing that the black Seminoles at the time brought to uh, the Seminoles was an expansion of their of their agricultural base. They knew how to grow, grow rice and they did they knew how to work in sort of an open field agriculture and they definitely helped the uh, the Seminoles survive and become prosperous during the during the 1800s. Palaklakaha was created up near Bushnell, Florida in the Palaklakaha Prairie. This site eventually earned the name Abraham's Old Town after its black Seminole leader who famously assisted the Seminoles as an interpreter. Archaeologists, anthropologists, and historians have all been interested in understanding the diversity of the community that formed at Palaklakaha. Dr. Terrence Wyke, Associate Professor of Anthropology from the University of South Carolina, tells us about the demographics of Palaklakaha and one of its seminal inhabitants. There are some record, a small number of cases of Africans in seminal um, Palaklakaha society from, it seems like there were a number of, of families, um, largely maybe like five to ten individuals, some of them with Two parents, you know, seemingly in a household. I would say, you know, all in all, Pilica was a very small settlement. You know, 100 people is not a lot of people. When you start thinking about families, you know, that probably could have meant like maybe 10 families even. And the overall surface area of the site was probably about half the size of a football field at the most. It was a small-scale society. You know, they were family groups living there. And um, there was this individual who's well-known clearly in, in Florida history, Mikanopi, who had at least one or two wives who resided at Pelicacaja. So that was also something um, important because of his stature, uh, but also the fact that people were intermarrying to a certain extent in the tribe and with the African Seminoles. Many of these black Seminole towns didn't usually survive past two years, whereas Palaklakaha was probably inhabited for a few decades. U.S. military maps of the 1820s and 30s 
provided early researchers with the approximate location of Poliklikaha. Dr. Wyke tells us about some of these sources and what they suggest life might have been like at Poliklikaha. One U.S. Indian official who traveled through the region and um, they described, you know, 100 people living there. They described a very rich resource base in terms of crops, you know, rice and beans and corn and other things, large herds of animals, you know, horses, cattle, and, and other animals. Clearly, you know, they had the ability to fend for themselves and some self-sufficiency in terms of their food base. They likely um, were mi very migratory, you know, in terms of well, it was very helpful for people who had escaped, you know, to understand the importance of mobility, you know, and to be prepared to use that as a strategy throughout. They didn't likely build walls. The military reports of General Eustace, who I read his field notes up at the National Archives, he's the one, his forces are, are, are the one that destroyed Pelikukaha in 1836. They got there about two weeks after people had been gone, though, you know, from what he says. In addition to these primary documents, the artifacts that archaeologists have uncovered at Pelikukaha have also given us insight into the lives and material culture of this group. Even though the actual site is only half the size of a football field, many archaeological items have been uncovered, including pottery pieces. Here, Dr. Wyke shares what pottery shards found at Poliklikaha can tell us about this community. Uh, there's a form of pottery that we often find at Seminole sites called Withlikuchi brushed. It's pottery that's largely comprised of uh, bowls and, and pots. And at Pilakukaha, there, there is um, this particular style of rim decoration of these pots, um, these triangular punctates that are not on in any other uh, assemblages that I've ever seen. There are other geometric forms on pottery and throughout Florida, you know, for these seminal sites, but none of them seem to have this triangular punctate decoration. And um, the the theme of the tri the motif of the triangle also was found on other sherds at Pelicocaja, including sherds that are very thin, dense, blackened, but they have um, incised triangles on them as opposed to these kind of more deep punctations on the rims. These incisions are on other parts of the pot, so. These are, are rare aspects. You know, one is, is a, a unique motif, but the, the sherds are similar to other seminal pottery. The big question is, what does it mean? You know, why were people doing these decorations? Um, there's various alternative um, hypotheses we could put out there. One is that maybe it was just a maker's mark. Maybe it was just a potter who decided, this is my mark, you know, and wanted something unique. Another potential interpretation is that you know maybe it was a marker of collective identity emblematic identity uh, uh, a signifier of uh, group consciousness or a desire to you know just like people who have flags you know have a material marker of their group identity these pottery shards and what they allude to are only one of the examples of material culture left at Poliklikaha the imprints left behind by their building structures tell us that their houses were temporary structures, which probably meant that they were ready to run if need be. But other objects found at the site suggest that they lived well, even though their homes were intended to be temporary. 
Pieces of clay pipes found at the site suggest the use and trade of pipe tobacco. Parts of ironstone platters, pearlware plates, and stoneware mugs from European sources suggest that they had connections to trade networks outside Florida. Even metal pieces found were possibly parts of kettles or tools used in their daily lives. Another object found at the site are beads. Here's Dr. Wyke describing the significance of the beads used by the Black Seminoles at Policlacaha. The beads are kind of complicated to interpret because, you know, there's not a lot written from the perspective of the people who live there, and there aren't a lot in the oral histories about them. And in photographs by folklorists and anthropologists and others, um, we see that Seminole are heavily, in, you know, invested in, in beads, those who lived in Florida. You know, definitely in terms of Africans or Native Americans or people who might have a kind of dual ancestry, I think beads, you know, probably played a variety of roles, you know, one from the perspective of aesthetics, you know, people decorated themselves, you know, there certainly was attention to you know, what your dress, you know, and your adornments say about yourself. Beads in many societies also can carry um, spiritual significance. All of the beads, pottery, and other objects found at Palikakaha demonstrate the agency and creativity with which this particular group of Black Seminoles lived. They were one of the many communities of Black Seminoles that resisted slavery by fleeing to Central Florida, and in turn, left behind their agricultural imprint and remnants of their material culture. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of A History of Central Florida podcast. For more information about the Black Seminoles, please visit the Florida Museum of Natural History at 3215 Hall Road, Gainesville, Florida, 32611. Make sure to join us for our next episode titled, Tobacco Pipes.